0: And, and Peter's speech to show us where the new movement came. And so, of course, he's going to hand off the Pentecost to Jeremy. And he's going to hand off Peter's speech to me. And so give it to the new guy. And so that's why he's gone today. Because he didn't want to deal with me. But likewise, I just wanted to celebrate the moms in the room today. Uh, just because, just even this morning, seeing my own wife with our own daughter. And you guys are superheroes. I don't get it. Like, I can do the exact same thing, put on clothes, change diapers, takes me twice as long. And so you guys need to be applauded. So can we give the moms an applause today? Because for all they do, you guys deserve it. And so before we get started, it wouldn't be fair if we didn't start in a word of prayer to allow the Spirit truly to, really to work as we talk a passage, about a passage specifically on the Spirit. So let's pray. i um, we're just so thankful that you're able to be here with us. We ask that you fill our hearts, you show us our wrongs, and give us grace, and show us that redemption through the cross, and encourage us to show us that no matter what of what this world comes to be, that you're always standing right beside us, dwelling inside of our souls, that you are the one that gives life And so let us dwell on that this morning, that you are the one that makes the dead alive. And so we pray all these things in your son's name, amen. And so I have to be honest, once again, of course the new guy gets the passage, but as I started thinking about it, I feel like I have some good examples. And so uh, just work with me on a few of these, they're not meant to be mockery or whatnot. But I did spend some time in the Caribbean over my high school career and some of the summers on the mission trip in the Dominican, the Bahamas. And so there's, their church is a lot different. If you've never been to a different congregation than maybe an RCA church or even just a Reformed body. And so their congregation worships a little bit differently. And so uh, the confusion that we see around the Holy Spirit kind of comes to play. And so we kind of throw words around like charismatic and um, spirit-filled. And sometimes those things get a little confusing. And so um, it was me as a white teenage boy just sitting amongst this congregation just seeing all of it. And if you're not familiar with maybe what charismatic congregation looks like... um, there's probably not a lot of hands in our pockets or hands across and our arms aren't really crossed. They're more like ecstatic and jumping and praising Jesus. And there's a lot more amens. And so every time the pastor makes a point, they go, amen, pastor, amen. And they're really excited about it. And so that wasn't my expectation. And, and I grew up in a congregation a lot like this where note-taking was very diligent, and just focusing in on the sermon was where we, where we looked at and what our expectation was. We weren't to participate, we were to listen. And so it kind of got me thinking, certainly someone must be in the wrong, because especially high school Kyle is thinking very black and white, that there's this juxtaposition, that certainly someone's doing something wrong because my worship doesn't look like that. Well, I'll give you that what Jeremy preaches. It looks a little bit different than what it normally does on a Sunday. So that's, that's a little bit different. And I warned him about that, so he knows. And so as I was thinking about this and thinking through how we could be worshiping the same God, as I was worshiping certainly with Christ believers, that they were following Christ with their whole hearts, And especially because that was where I first found my faith. Especially because looking at what they had, they have absolutely nothing. They live in homes that are built by concrete blocks, maybe with random aluminum siding, or not like the irregular aluminum, like the aluminum that you find in a junkyard kind of aluminum. And so they put that on their roofs. And yet every time in the worship service, like we said, they're jumping up for joy They're praising his name and saying amen to everything. And yet, that's joy. And today, sitting in the congregation today, you guys have joy. So where does this joy come from? What does it look like? And so a passage that kept coming to mind was in 1 Corinthians 12, and more specifically in verse 18. It reads, but in fact God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And so certainly, as I got thinking about this, when the God of the universe who created many different kinds of trees, different animals, all of us of different races, certainly he wants us to be able to worship in different ways. It's all worship if it's done with the heart of Christ. And that's certainly what we saw. And so it kind of came back, if some of you know prominent uh, reformer, Philip Melanchthon, he has a fairly inspiring quote, he says, um, as he was stating to the Church of Geneva and and suggesting how the reformers should behave around heresy, he said, and the essentials unity, and non-essentials liberty, and all things charity. And so whether or not we're worshiping in the Caribbean and it looks a lot more, shall we say, charismatic, Or we're worshiping in Cedar Hills, and it looks a lot more maybe formal. As long as it's done with the heart of Christ and the spirit that combines us together, we find that unity, and we find that worship in him because that joy comes out of his spirit. And so as we break the passage today and look at Peter's sermon, let's evaluate it not just on simply how many souls were saved, but let's look at how it unifies all races, all nations, all people, because that's what he's doing here. He's giving us a way through, because with this new movement, we see that many of the religious Jews of the day did not like what Jesus was doing. He was very anti-Judaism in their mind, that he was doing something uncomprehendable. But yet, we know, being on this side of the cross, what he was doing. And that redemptive narrative kept getting bigger because that's how Jesus wanted it. He wanted all to be included. And so as we read the passage today, keep in mind, while this may have very specific Jewish undertones, the idea is unity. And so let's read the passage today. So if you want to open your Bibles, we'll be in Acts 2, 14 through 41. It's kind of long. So I understand if you've got to take a mental break and a couple seconds every now and then. But it reads, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be You crucified and killed by the hands of the lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held today. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord, says, always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your old holy ones see corruption. You have made known to the, me the past of life. You will make full, me full of gladness with your presence. And brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, that he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000. And so, as we look at the passage, there's quite a few things that we need to pull out that are very direct in the text. To get to a good starting point to start to move forward and start to really look at what Peter's saying here. And so, if I think I have a slide of a map of the known world, potentially. So, it's a little hard to see, but this is what we're working with. I don't know if you've ever seen a map kind of of what the first century looked like, but this is pretty much all we got here. This is the known world, and obviously from sitting here with you guys today, it's gone a lot further than that. I would imagine that by looking at this map, we start to see places that are familiar to us. And so that's highlighted in here where Jerusalem Jerusalem. And so that's where we're going to be in Acts. And this is where we're focusing in on. And that is the Holy Land. And so the message that we're hearing today is directly to the Jews. And so As we saw Jesus at his crucifixion and his ascension, we know that the Jews have a little bit of a problem with Jesus. He doesn't fit their box. And so from the text, Peter needs to now explain what is happening. And there's some little subtleties in here that are very interesting. Because even their own countrymen are asking them if they're drunkards. And In the passage, it says it a different way, but the time is 9 a.m. And so they're asking, why are our brothers drunkards? What has happened to them? Obviously, something has happened to them. And so there's disunity. There's already something happening that they don't understand, and especially on both sides of it. People are confused why people are hearing the gospel in their own tongues. And then others are wondering what they had to drink that morning and how much they had to drink. So there's already division. And it's by Peter's careful design that he quotes the prophet Joel in the very beginning. And then he quotes the patriarch King David twice in two Psalms. And these appear as proofs for him, and it's his argument for the Jews to help convince them that Jesus was the Messiah. That he is the king that he claimed to be. Because this morning, if he's not that king... They're not unified. We're not unified. Because it all rests on the cross. Because the power of the Spirit comes to unify. Because he's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us together today. And so if we deny that same power just to love one another, how silly does that make us look? If we're not unified enough that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, dwelling in us, Helping us to understand what the church is all about. But that's not all that we're going to talk about. Because while that may be direct in the text, what is indirect is extremely important. And so while it kind of specifically focuses in on the Jews and Peter's focus is in on them, we can't miss that there's a new moment rising, that the Spirit has come. And there's Gentile believers in the nations don't need to be convinced that this Jesus doesn't fit into um, the Old Testament Messiah. He's not the prophesied king. They don't really know any of that. So they're ready to just go on the hope that Christ brings while the Jews are a little hesitant. And so they need a little extra help. And so that's where we see it today with the cultural aspect of it is that there's this Jew versus Gentile dilemma. And so we need to see how Peter is convincing them. Because if we look at Jesus, we see humble sacrifice. And so certainly, as we see Peter developing this argument, and even in, I believe, verse 40, it says that he's spoken more words than this. And so there's more arguments and more to say, but what we got to say is that this is truly the God of the Old Testament, that he is king. And so... The hope has come. The kingdom has arisen that what was promised has come forth, but not everyone 's on board and so it kind of reminds me uh, when I introduced myself you know three months ago, and people ask where you 're from um, i 've lived for a long time in the metro Detroit area, and I believe as this, I assume that when most people hear Detroit area it's probably not very positive things. If most people would ask me, oh, how close to the city were you? They're asking, how close to gunshots were you? Or how close to were you being stabbed? Um, I'll I'll give you that. like, not that close. (laughs) I was in a fluent neighborhood, I was not that close. But after a time, it started to be, oh, I live in the Ann Arbor area. (laughs) It's a lot easier to say Ann Arbor area, especially in the Big Ten kind of atmosphere. People know that. But what I'm trying to get at is that they, the Detroiters, and maybe it's not original to them, but um, at the very least, they started this slogan, and, and many of you may have heard it. It's called Detroit versus Everybody. And so you see t-shirts everywhere, you see hoodies everywhere. And this is what I think the Gentiles may have worn if they had hoodies and t-shirts why it said Jews versus everyone. Because that's kind of what it was in the Old Testament. You can't fault them for looking at what they had. They had the king of the universe as their king. He was their chosen people. Of course, they're going to be confused on why now. Why now are the Gentiles being included? Why are these heathens, why are these pagans being included in our covenant? This is with us Yahweh, what are you doing? This is our covenant. And so we can't hold that mentality no matter what. And I think the mentality is kind of evaded into some of our churches. That sometimes we are the RCA versus everyone. Or we are the reform versus everyone. And sometimes we just need to loosen those walls and those restrictions. Because when I first started to realize that people worshipped in different ways. When I first saw that, i had never been to a different worship service than my own. And so when I started to see that, I could see God opening up in his full expression. And that's similar to what the Jews are facing. They're starting to realize how the God of the universe can be worshipped in a different expression and by different people. And how remarkable, too, but we might have to add this as well, thinking Peter just denied Jesus not that long ago. Some may know this that are in the crowd. They may know that he denied Jesus. Think of how embarrassing, or it's going be even worse than embarrassing. Why he must be thinking? Why would Jesus? Why would God send me to give this speech? I just denied him, and now I have to convince everyone that he is king. And I just denied him over here, and now I have it. What's different? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us courage. It empowers us. It shows that no matter where we come from, whatever we do, whatever we have done, He can make that work. No matter what. Because we know that the God of the universe is bigger than anything we have to deal with. And as we mentioned before, we can kind of see the kingdom coming. And so this is one of several points I want us to focus in on. Because Jesus has come, he said multiple times, he said in Matthew 11, he said in Mark 1, that I'm the kingdom come, observe the kingdom, I have come. And so now all can be saved through me. Everyone has to come through me to get to the Father. And this looks a lot different to the Jews. Because there's a lot of other things and other steps that they had to get to to be able to get to Yahweh. And now he's saying, through Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. No more tabernacle, no more that. He dwells inside of you. And so picture, also picture Peter saying these things. So on top of being embarrassed of denying Jesus, on top of that think about what he said. In 2.36 he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made it both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. Certainly he's part of that whom you crucified. And so he has to come up give this message that he doesn't uh, he's embarrassed that he denied Jesus the first time and he has to tell them that they crucified Jesus while he was a part of that. So his reputation might not be that great right now. But yet, we see through the Holy Spirit and God's authority and God's working that he overcame that. Because we saw 3,000 souls were saved. That's truly the Messiah of the kingdom that can overlook the faults that we have. And on top of which, that brings us to our second point. We have this new identity, this new unity. Unity. That at once the Jews and Gentiles were at odds. And now they're together, they make up the body of Christ. And so with this conflict, we have to figure out what is God going to do about it? And so he's already given Peter to give the speech. And as you know, the Bible goes beyond the four Gospels and Acts. And so the Apostle Paul's letter to Philemon is where I want to jump to real quick. You don't have to go there in in your Bibles... But if you know anything about the book of Philemon, it's, re- it's remarkable, and it's radical. Because in that time period, you could have bond servants and slavery, and obviously there's different connotations for different people on what that means, and it, it doesn't look like the slave trade we saw in America. It looks a lot different than that. But certainly, we look at the honor-shame culture that we see in the first century, that everything is about increasing your reputation and decreasing things that you wouldn't want people to know or things that are against your reputation. And so Paul, an apostle of Christ, is advocating for a runaway slave who deserved death. That's pretty against your reputation. And Paul even calls him his heart, says he's, not, he's useful now, he wasn't useful before, but he's useful now because he's found Christ and that he's working for the gospel. That he's my very heart. And so that reputation changes very fast for Onesimus, the slave. And Paul takes that on because that is what the gospel is all about. That no matter where you come from, what you look like, who you are, the Spirit brings you into the family of God. He gives you that power to be dead and now alive. And he turns cowards into courageous, the hypocrite into the honorable, and the dead alive. And so sometimes it's a little more difficult to think about where we go next. As if we're thinking unity and finding the body of Christ and seeing now a new movement with the kingdom coming, What does that look like, and how can I do that today? So we have to move. We have to take that next step. No matter what our worship style is, it doesn't make a difference if that gospel doesn't reach the masses, if it doesn't reach the nations. Because the map that we have up here, if it just stayed in these congregations, we wouldn't be here. It has to reach beyond the walls. And so one of my favorite theologians uh, is Michael Horton. And he wrote a book called Ordinary. And it sounds kind of an odd title because certainly you want to be more than ordinary or any Target or Walmart inspirational section. You'll see uh, Joel Osteen or Beth Moore or Joyce Meyer. Someone saying that you need to be the better you or you're just better, better, better. But ordinary doesn't seem so great. But... Ordinary is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And he emphasizes in the book that ordinary is never meant to be boring. Ordinary just means something consistent, something that's committed. And so there's plenty of people I bet you can think of that in their faith, while it may seem ordinary, it's clearly extraordinary. That it's not boring to wake up every day, face every trial of every day, and still have faith in Christ. And have that spirit dwell in you. Be encouraging. There's so many that fall away from, this, from God and through faith. And so think about 40, 50, 60, 70, whatever years of faith. That's not ordinary. That's extraordinary. And so the last couple of months, just really being encouraged by my, my grandmother in law, I believe is what you would call her, my grandmother in law. And so recently her husband passed a few years ago, and she had only known him and only known kind of life with him. And that's been difficult for her. And yet, even at this strongest trial of losing a spouse, she's so encouraged that she goes to church every every Sunday, participates in her Bible studies. And these aren't just like checklist things. Like she loves them. And you know saints that just love their Bible studies and their worship services. And even just the other day when we saw the passing of Mary's mom Irene and and just the stories that people share, they just knew that she loved Jesus because she wanted them to love Jesus. It didn't matter who they were, who she was talking to. She wanted them to love Jesus because she knew what kind of a joy that looked like and how that could unify people. Because if we think about how much we want this world to transform into gospel-believing members of the community and, and how we want the gospel to transform every part of this world, it's sometimes the ordinary that moves the most. Because say there's 100, 150 people at Irene's um, funeral service, I know for a fact that everyone must have left knowing that Christ was king and that multiplication great. Because even just see Peter preaching one sermon saved 3,000. And while that may be abnormal to some, it may look a little bit different to us, we got to remain in our calling what Christ has called you to. So whether it's extravagant saving 3,000 people or whether it's ordinarily extraordinary, we have to figure out, are we really willing to unite under Christ because that joy goes beyond all boundaries and all barriers? Because no matter what we worship like, no matter what we look like, that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be unified under the cross because that's the most important thing. And so what will we do next, church? what will we do next? And can I get an amen? amen? Amen! All right. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to open your word and learn more about you today. Allow this message just to go beyond our walls, infiltrate our hearts, including my own. Uh, this message can't stay silent, that a coward like Peter can be emboldened, that he can have the power to share amongst a hostile crowd, that I could certainly share my faith with just an acquaintance or with someone that I meet. Certainly I could do that. Because it's the power that you've put in us to be able to go and reach all the nations. That is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is now dwelling in us. Certainly that's enough power for us. And so we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.